night, George Stephanopoulos, ABC, they did a little event. Hey, can I mention that the great Michael Savage is joining us uh, in about a half an hour? You ought to stay tuned for that. Of the Savage Nation? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Long time uh, colleague of ours. So uh, known the, Michael for years. The other day, the uh, uh, I won't be too specific. So one of the people working on my house to deal with our uh, various uh, problems, renovation problems, was there the other day, and uh, I was kind of hinting around a little bit about uh, you know it's the California regulations and whatnot that cause a lot of this crap and this and that and everything like oh, that. He and was, I, yeah, I was. Oh, you were. Okay, I was just testing the ground a little bit. You never yeah. know what you're you know what you're dealing with. <laughs> Somebody, I I, re- I kind of realized as getting the hint that there's some fertile ground there for us to agree on this sort of thing. Okay, anyway, very nice. It became uh, clear at one point that he's a giant Michael Savage fan. Yes, and he became aware of the Armstrong and Getty Show through Michael Savage because we're on the same station in ah, yeah. various places. And yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. Huge Michael Savage fan. Yeah. And okay. uh, that's how he discovered us. We'll be talking to the good doctor in a few minutes. <laughs> but so once I realized that, I was a more free to speak my mind. Oh, indeed. Some yes. of the ridiculous things. Yes. You were not going to shock him. The gover- No, the government was making us do. Um, so uh, Trump yesterday night on, last night on ABC, what they call a pseudo-event. Uh, he created an event and then reported his news. Uh, asking questions. The, the the theme was undecided voters questioning the swing voter. Who are you people? <laughs> I still haven't decided. <laughs> I see those people on the news now and then, and, and and they always seem like really nice people. Yeah, but does, doesn't that mostly mean you haven't paid that much attention? Because there's no way if you're paying much attention at all that you don't have a real solid idea of whether or not you want Donald Trump to be president for another four years. I believe there are a lot of people who won't admit to anyone, a pollster, their neighbors, their coworkers, that they're leaning toward Trump. But when they get in the voting booth or they have that uh, that ballot on their kitchen table, they will. I think the, the, the polls in Florida, for instance, like five points in Biden's favor, that five points is going to disappear on election well, month. You are told by... Everything in all of culture, every single day, that only crazy racists could possibly want Trump to be president again, right. even though about half the country does. Right. Um, so, uh, but anyway, uh, Trump was on with Stephanopoulos and answering questions and stuff like that, and it appeared to me like actual didn't know the questions were coming. You got to answer them standing on your feet, and Stephanopoulos would follow up with some pushback. But here's one on uh, the topic of policing. In the light of the ongoing protests surrounding the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the recent shooting of Jacob Jacob Blake, do you feel racial injustices are occurring in this nation? And if so, what can be done to address them? Well, I think they were tragic events, and I do feel that uh, we have to also take into consideration that if you look at our police, they do a phenomenal job. You'll have people choke, make mistakes, and they happen. It happens where they have to make a fast decision and some bad things happen. And you also have bad apples. But you have 99% great people. I know the police forces very well. I think almost every one of them, if you look, I've been endorsed by so many of them. And these are great people. And I will say this, uh, if you're going to stop crime, we have to give the, the respect 
back to the police that they deserve. They've done a fantastic job in so many locations, but then bad things happen. But a lot of people look at the statistics. Black Americans more than three times more likely than white Americans to be killed by police. And that indicates that this just isn't bad apples. This just isn't choking. This is a real systemic endemic problem. No, do you not. believe that? What will you do to address it? So I just saw a poll where African Americans in this country, black communities, are 81% in favor of having more police. They want more police. They want protection. They, they suffer more than anybody else by bad police protection. All minorities, whether it's Hispanic or black or, or Asian, they suffer more than anybody else, George. We have, to give, we have to give the police back the authority to stop crime. Here's one of the problems with real-time fact-checking. What George Stephanopoulos just said is not clearly true. Right. Right. Absolutely not clearly true. Yeah. I don't know which tangent to go off on. The fact that a lot of, a lot of issues, like there's this new um, program in San Francisco, that you can get money if you're a pregnant woman, if you're uh, black or, or brown, but not poor white women for whatever. Well, because the disproportionately affects blah, blah, blah. It's about poverty. It's not about color. It's not about skin color. There's more crime in poor neighborhoods. A lot of black neighborhoods are poor neighborhoods, so there's more crime. That's not proof that there's some sort of systemic problem like Snuffleupagus is trying to suggest. But even that aside, there has not been anything close to like uh, to that with Joe Biden yet, where no. where anybody is going to say, wait a second, statistics say, you know, push back on that. He At hasn't least, been within five miles of that much pushback. Not no. even close. No. And uh, ABC mentioned during their special that we have been asking the Biden campaign to do a similar such event. So far, they have not agreed to it. They're yeah. not going to agree to it. And you know what? I wouldn't if I was them either. There's no public pressure and no pressure from the media. Uh, he's doing an event tomorrow night on CNN. And I'll be interested to see what it's like. My guess would be it'll be like the other events he's done where he knows what the questions are ahead of time. His campaign handed out the questions. And depending whether he's there alive or not, he might be looking at a teleprompter reading the answer to the question. Right. Yeah. Uh, which he has done on occasion. Speaking of pushing back, I want to go back to the policing question, though, because the three uh, cases that young woman threw out there are each completely different from each other. The Brianna Taylor situation had to do with uh, obtaining and executing warrants. And and depending who you ask, it might have been sloppy policing, an unnecessary uh, storming of a house, and the guy inside thought he was being attacked, so he defended himself. Is that the case where they now are paying out $12 million to the family? Yeah, and to the credit... Their credit, the family also insisted on um, certain reforms, some of which seem perfectly reasonable to me about a supervisor has to approve the plan for executing a warrant, that sort of thing. Um, but that was seemed to be not so great policing. Could it have had a racial element because they were, thought they were busting a black drug dealer? I don't know. You would have to get to the root to that, the root of that. But I have never heard a single shred of evidence that it was in the least racially motivated. The death of that young woman was tragic, no doubt. The George Floyd thing, nothing has emerged that would suggest that those cops had any particular animus toward him for being black. He was freaking out. He was on multiple drugs. He had a heart attack or something like that. There's no reason to kneel on a guy for eight minutes. It's terrible policing. Every cop I know says the same thing. No proof of racial animus. And that last one, the Jacob, what's his name? 
They were executing a warrant. He had a warrant for sexual assault, and he had a knife. Nobody has disputed that, and he appeared to be going for the knife. And again, no, nobody has offered anything specific about racial animus. Now, if you want to make a generalized argument, cops are too quick to shoot black people. Okay, we can talk about that. But stop acting as if all three of those cases were the same, and all three were clearly racist. And that statistic alone is um, is no good. You can't you can't handle the conversation that way. You've got to have a bundle of statistics and have a complicated conversation. The way Stephanopoulos presented it, they're very disappointing to me. I mean that that's just that's weak. That is really weak. It is, and these things are incredibly important. Yeah, and and you know if you're maybe your politics are different than mine or whatever, uh, but. If the number one thing in your life is you want equal rights for people of color, all of this lying and twisting of stories and 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 misleading statistics—that's not helping. It's not helping at all. I also think it's interesting that the president's answer, or, or just when he was talking about ninety-nine percent of cops are good, and I don't know what the actual number would be. Most cops have told us ninety-nine percent aren't good, or a, a quarter shouldn't be cops. Right. Anyway, they're not good at it. Um, but anyway, uh, if he said that as a college professor, he'd lose his job or be in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, Clearly. What the president said, which is kind of interesting. But um, my main point with uh, wanting to bring that up is just Trump faces questions with with very difficult pushback in, 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 to the point of being unfair pushback every single day. Yeah, every single day, either in the. Um, you know, the press conference or whatever you call it about the COVID virus or he's walking out of the White House or whatever, and Biden never does. It'll be interesting if we elect somebody president who never faces serious questioning. I wonder if that's going to happen. It might. That would be shocking. 45 days out or something like that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I know what they're doing over in the Biden camp. Biden's that, you know, the the, the imaginary lover. You know, the, the grass is always greener. The, you know, the handsome guy at the office, you, you think, wow, you know, I got to get rid of my old husband who, who who belches and, you know, sometimes he doesn't do the dishes and whatever, because that other person, they are they're an imaginary being there. You're all of your fantasy. None of them have been disrupted. And Biden has that. Why would you disrupt it if you were him? Well, right. Exactly. Yeah. When when his full humanity is exposed, I don't think it'll be nearly as impressive as the fantasy version, but. Of course, he's going to be the vice president, according to both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, yeah. on the same day. What is going on with that? Do we have that back to back? We can get to that coming up. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't heard those, uh, it's, is that a, is that a, on purpose? Is that a political plan, or it? It's not a gaffe. It's a uh, well, or is it? <laughs> <laughs> I have two theories, and I'm not sure which one is correct. But I will bounce those off you uh, coming up. administration together with Joe Biden as the president of the United States. Harris-Biden administration is going to relaunch that effort. That was on the same day. So twice, the vice president and the president, each saying it, said Harris-Biden instead of Biden-Harris. 
Yes. And you think that's significant? Well, when she said it, I thought she just like misspoke and then tried to correct it and whatever. Kind of funny. Yeah, I I think it's mostly just a a gaffe. Although, I also firmly believe that Kamala and her people firmly believe and may have even been told that Joe does not expect to serve the term. He will get elected and then he will give way to you at some point. My prediction is two years and a day after the uh, inauguration so that she can run twice more, um, according to the Constitution. That's my theory. Oh, really? Um, And so it could have been just in the back of their minds. I think it was mostly just a slip of the tongue. But I think it might have significance. Um, You know, just it was a Freudian slip. Is there any and, chance that this is the left's version of Trump saying, eh, just tell him I'm going to go another four, another eight years? Right? Oh, like, I wonder. Did, this is the thing that I can say that will make my, quote unquote, the counter media to me just lose their minds. I don't know if Biden can does or can get into that sort of thing, but I could see her doing that. I yeah. can see her being part of that. And that's why it's probably giving them too much credit. I don't know if they'd run that playbook or not, well, but that's, see, it struck me as that. My other theory, and it's been borne out by everything is that they're both terrible at campaigning <laughs> they're both just bad at their jobs you, well you might not have to be good at it kamala, have you considered being good at your jobs kamala was so <laughs> awful she was forced out pre-iowa and joe well we know old joe his uh, his various liabilities watch me <laughs> all right <laughs> i am gonna watch you on the 29th what is that a tuesday i think Tuesday the 29th? The debate? Yeah. Yeah, you and half the world. Yeah, I know it. And the other half, what are you doing? How can you miss this? Total change of topic. It's a great example of unintended consequences. Congress passes some law, making all bad things outlawed, and then a giant bureaucracy springs up and sucks away your taxpayer monies. But in this case, Congress passed a law saying that insurance had to pay the full cost of uh, COVID-19 testing, no matter how much hospitals or labs bill. Well, you can, you're probably way ahead of me here. Story emerges that uh, this guy paid $35 to, to the pharmacy to take a nasal, nasal swab. They sent it off to the lab, Principal Diagnostics, which billed their insurance company $864. More than eight times what the Federal Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services reimburse for COVID-19 tests. Now, because Medicare are, always uh, under-reimburses, but... Because they legally have to pay whatever it is, because it's COVID. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's just gigantic profiteering going on. Wow. And you wonder why your insurance rates are so high? Uh, how about that? What is going to happen on the west coast of the United States as insurance companies stop insuring homes... Or raise the rate to where you just can't afford to live there anymore. What's what's going to happen for millions and millions of people across a whole bunch of states? Well, you've heard my theory, and I'll repeat it, and you can tell me if you think it makes sense, but vast, the vast majority of homes are mortgaged, and those mortgages are held by giant financial companies, banks and Wall Street firms and the rest of it, and they're not going to let their investment burn up uninsured. So the supergiant banks are going to go to either state legislatures or Congress and say, hey, hey, you're going to yank the leash that the legislatures are on because they're owned by, you know, a lot of these big uh, special interest groups. They're going to yank the leash. They're going to say, hey, come up with a good state insurance plan 
that can't refuse people homeowners insurance. Do it now. And so the, the government will come up with an option. An no. Obamacare for homeowners insurance. Heard a story yesterday. Now, granted, it was a pretty expensive house, but the insurance was going to be $5,000 a month. Well, you can't afford what? that. Yeah. You can't afford that. You know, it's basically, it's like... You just got to buy another house and move into it if the first one burns down. I think that I think what the insurance company is doing, it's like what we do for live appearances. <laughs> you, make, you make the price so much that nobody's ever going to pay it because you don't want to do a live appearance. Right. <laughs> Generally. And you think if anybody ever does, well, okay, I'll go ahead and do it for that amount. I think that's what the insurance companies do in the house. Oh, yeah, I'm sure for $5,000 a month, we'll insure your house. Yeah, I'll charge you so much, I don't care if it burns down or not. But, but yeah, so you just you you can't afford to buy the house, even if you could afford the house payment. Because right, right. the insurance, well, now if you're selling the house, how the hell do you sell the house? Nobody can afford to buy it, so you have to keep no. lowering the price. So, this, so there would be a giant collapse, at least regionally, of the real estate market. And, and, you know, trillions of dollars would be lost. And, you know, the real estate lobby is pretty uh, powerful and the bank lobbies and the rest of it. So something would have to happen. Um, I don't I don't know the alternative. Oh, that's good. That could, could, could be a very ugly situation. Yeah. Like I say, I don't think they'd let it get that ugly. Um, if you're a fan of talk radio, you probably know who Michael Savage is. We're going to talk to him coming up in just a few minutes. If you don't know who Michael Savage is, well, you're uh, you're going you're going to be introduced to him. He's one of the most unique voices on, on the history of radio. Here, here, he's got a new book out: "Our Fight for America: The War Continues," which uh, sounds pretty accurate to me. He once ate a hot dog with President Trump. That's right. <laughs> Maybe we can get that story again. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We should re- we should revisit a little bit later the Netflix documentary about social media that we were talking about earlier. Absolutely, that I haven't seen, but Joe and Sean say is uh, great and very important. Yeah, absolutely. We want to talk about that in a little while, but right now, in an industry full of clones and lemmings. Michael Savage is a truly original voice. We've uh, known Michael and admired him for many, many years, and he joins us now. He's got a brand new book out, Our Fight for America, The War Continues. Michael, how are you, sir? We've known each other for, what, over 20 years? I remember you guys were on stage with me at the Marin Civic Center, weren't you, back in the early 90s, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, I remember it well. That was a heck of a night. We still get emails about that, people who remember (laughs) that show. Uh, Compassionate conservative events, remember those days? Yeah, yeah, indeed. So normally... What what happened to the conservative part of the compassionate conservative? Where, Where the conservatives go? I don't know. We talk about that a lot. I'm not sure there's a constituency for fiscal conservatism anymore. Everybody oh, spends please. like they're are you drunk. Kidding? Don't you love all of the guys who are on in the media who scream about conservatism and family values and traditional and patriotism took PPP money? Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. How many trillions of dollars can you spend before you finally go under as a country? Well, I guess we're going to find out. No, but I mean all of the conservatives who have fake universities and all sorts of websites they all took ppp money making believe that they're not welfare recipients isn't that wonderful right right and they, they figured out that like 75 percent of the claims in in colorado were were faked up for the government money only 75 california must be 125 <laughs> percent. 
So, hey, listen, uh, normally a uh, guy's got a book. We'll mention the book, maybe talk about it a little bit, but we'll just talk about other things. But your book, Our Fight for America, I was reading the description of it, and you in the book do what we've all of us have tried to do through our careers, sort through the shouting and the narratives and figure out what's actually going on. Well, look, the first chapter is titled, and I'll just read a title, The Twin Plagues, Covidism and Communism. Second chapter, the virus profiteers. Let me stop right there. I don't care whether the person's left, right, or center. You want to know who's stealing the money on the virus. You want to know what COVID is a, is a means. We understand that it was a way overreach. In the beginning, everyone was confused by the virus. They didn't know how deadly it was. I wouldn't say that they purposely shut everyone down to hurt Trump. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life, to make everything about him. However, after we realized that you should have selectively quarantined at-risk populations, not the entire population, but yet the politicians being the cowards that they are, they used a, a, um, an affirmative action lockdown uh, program, which is lock everyone down so we're not accused of being uh, uh, prejudiced, okay? Because there were only certain communities that were at high risk. We all know that. Everyone who studied this knows that. Everyone is not at equal risk. So you don't lock an entire community up and destroy everybody's business because you have high-risk communities or populations within the overall population. But the politicians are, A, venal, number two, they're cowardly, and number three, they do the most convenient thing they can do, which is make everybody a victim, destroy every business, and then blame it all on Donald Trump. I agree with all of that about what the politicians are up to and uh, their attitudes and everything like that, but I wonder about a culture that allows this to happen. I i got to believe that if you had tried to shut down all these businesses in 68 when we had that big flu come through, you wouldn't have been able to. I don't think the country would have gone along with it, would it? Well, but it's not limited to America. Take a country like Israel. You know that it's a macho country. They wouldn't last one day. They live in a tough neighborhood. People want to drive them into the sea. They're locked down. They're destroyed. Uh, so people, here's the strangest thing. People who are otherwise tough and independent, somehow can be easily manipulated when it comes to health or, or medical issues. This is an interesting phenomenon. I don't have time to you know, waste your time with it. It goes all the way back to my studies in anthropology 40 years ago. There was a great paper I reference all the time, which is sorcery, illness, and social control in a Philippine village. They were using sorcery and illness to control the population in a small village. Well, they're using sorcery, which they call science, and illness in America to control the whole population. I love when the schmucks, the Democrats say, well, science, science. Would Nancy <laughs> Pelosi understand what science actually is? She keeps saying science. Does she ever take a science course? Does she know what it even means? It's something that is potentially disprovable. She doesn't even know what that means. So this is not science. What they're using is sorcery. I mean, you can crunch numbers any way you want. You can make up fake polls by loading the question in, in any direction you want. The same thing with epidemiology. Remember, I have a doctorate from the University of California at Berkeley, partially in epidemiology, meaning I can read data. That's all it means. So anyone who can read data knows that this is one of the greatest mistakes or scams in the history of the world. Total overreaction. Uh, and that's why I call it COVIDism. It's more like a religion than it is about a disease. And it's all in uh, it's all in the book. It's one of the main things I talk about. We can't let this happen again. Mighty we can't. Sorry, Michael Savage is on the line. Uh, uh, Dr. Savage, uh, what are they getting wrong in the media about this about disease? What? What's what's number one? 
What do you mean? In any topic or just COVID? Uh, COVID. What's the number one thing they're getting wrong? Yeah, what, what do you hear that makes you crazy when you take in mainstream oh, media? That we all must be locked up and sure. put away like little dolls in a dollhouse in order to protect us from ourselves. Uh, that you should wear a mask everywhere you go. So you see idiots in the Bay Area running with masks on. <laughs> uh, bicycling with masks on. Do they not understand that they're liable to get a heart attack by limiting their their Intake. I mean, we we, inha- we know from the poison that's been in the air for the last week. Horrible, right? Oh, sure. It's terrible. I mean, we we breathe in hundreds and hundreds of gallons of air every day. So now you're going to run with a mask on. How many gallons of oxygen are you depriving your body of while you're running? Why don't they tell people they don't need to wear a mask while they're running? Are people this sheep-like sheep? Of course they are. So it would seem. So, hey, change of topic with Michael Savage. Uh, I know you've been following and writing about the uh, the social justice movement slash war against the police slash wildly irresponsible commentator by athletes. Uh, is that a chapter in the book? Are you kidding me? Black Lives Matter is the greatest scam to have ever hit the United States of America. We know who founded the movement. Their mission statement is on their own website. They're anti-capitalist, anti-male anti-American, anti-Christian. How much clearer do we have to get that we've been hoodwinked by a Trojan horse under the guise of racial justice to literally become prisoners in our own country for fear that somebody will be offended if we say, wait a minute now, in the name of racial justice, you're shooting cops, you're breaking windows, you're looting, you're stealing, and you're condemning an entire race? That's about the most racist thing I've ever heard. How bad are things right now with the violence in the streets, the riots, the, all that sort of stuff? I mean, I've, I've read about the 60s, but I'm not old enough to have lived through it. D- d- does it compare? Is it uh, half as no, bad, twice as bad? they didn't do this in the 60s. They did not. Well, okay, let's go to Newark. In Newark, Newark was once a thriving, beautiful, middle-class community. Do we know what happened in Newark during the riots? They burned their own city to the ground. Newark never really recovered from that. And if this keeps up, these cities that are being decimated by the social justice warriors, did you see how many stories have come out about them being children of wealthy families, yeah, these right. girls, these brainwashed sorority girls? Right, uh, and they're out-of-towners, and they're burning down minority-owned businesses. Yeah, but I'm not surprised by that. They've been brainwashed by their own parents, their own schools, since childhood. Most of them are drug addicts. They were raised either on Ritalin in the old days or Adderall. They are stone-hearted Drug, drug addicts who are brainwashed, they don't even know what the hell they're doing. But let's go back in history again. We don't have the time, but Karl Marx came from a wealthy class, a home. Lenin came from an upper middle class home. Revolutionaries have long been derived from upper middle class homes. Bin Laden did. Castro himself was a lawyer from an upper middle class family. People don't even know that. Castro, Fidel Castro, went to a Catholic school in the Bronx. I know the history of Fidel Castro. So this is nothing new. And then you have the disease of all, the human disease, Bernie Sanders, the most poisonous man in the history of American politics. This bum, this loser, this mook comes along and tries to peddle communism under the guise of democratic socialism as though no one ever heard of it before. Let me conclude. I know your time is short with one, one, one paragraph. Wherever the new Democrat ideology has been tried, millions have died. It's that simple. 
You go to Russia, it was sold under the guise of fairness and equality. You go to Cuba, fairness and equality became a prison camp. Cambodia, fairness and equality. Millions, millions were worked and killed. I mean, it's a sickening thing to understand where this is going to go unless people say enough is enough. Well, and the folks who've actually emigrated from uh, these socialist utopias vote en masse against socialism. I think that ought to tell you something. Michael Savage, the new book is Our Fight for America. The war continues. Uh, It's always a pleasure, Michael. Great to talk to you. Good luck with the book. Onward, Armstrong and Getty. Thank you, you, Michael. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And, of course, you can hear him uh, on KSFO from noon to 2 or KBC from 7 to 9, among other great radio stations across the country. That whole phenomenon, there needs to be more studying of how, you know, all the people he listed, um, Marx, Lenin, Castro, or, you know, even bin Laden, as I mentioned, these people that come from perfectly comfortable, wealthy families get highly educated Mm -hmm. and they go to blow up the world because they're not happy. Right. And one of the most interesting things that struck me in, in studying the, the Bolshevik Revolution and the rest of it was how open Lenin and, and company were with, listen. John Lennon? No. Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, Donnie. <laughs> um, the, how open they were that, listen, the proletariat, the working classes, they're too stupid to adopt this. we got to force it on them at gunpoint. It's for their own good. But we got to keep them whipped up and angry and hateful toward their oppressors. If we have to hang a thousand kulaks, it's worth it, the farmers. There you go. Exactly. To impose this new utopia. And uh, that's the intellectuals of these days. They're marching in the streets, smashing stuff. They're stealing. They're looting. They're setting fires. They're trying to blind cops and the rest of it. And trying to force that ideology on these neighborhoods where... We were just talking earlier, 81% of people say we want more cops, please, in the rough hoods. More, not fewer, more. That's why it's so racist and patronizing patronizing for a a, a white grad student chick to be yelling at a black cop, you know, basically saying, well, you're not really smart enough to know the way you're being treated and that you're, you know, that things are bad for you. So I'm, I'm here to help you. That's straight out of Lenin, Vladimir Ilyich. It's something. That is something. You know, we'll, we'll we'll keep doing what we're doing as long as we can. They'll come for us at some point, I suppose. You know what I like about Michael Savage is just because I've been in the radio business my whole life and we've been around a lot of consultants and various people are always trying to build, you know, a successful radio show. And nobody's ever said, here's what you do. You hire a guy who got a Ph.D. in epidemiology. Plant botany. Born That's Jewish, redundant. now a Christian. Right. <laughs> Thick Brooklyn accent. Right. I like the sound of this. Tell me more. <laughs> That'll be hugely successful. Nobody nobody comes up with these ideas. You have to be an original talent for like that. Like I said, this industry is full of sheep. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, he is completely, completely unique. Yep, indeed. Um, so I saw you tweet out yesterday how important it is that you, you put everything aside and watch that new Netflix documentary. Yeah, yeah. Let me bend your ear about that in a minute. Okay, that's next. Armstrong and Getty. Show. Rewind a few years ago, I was the uh, I was the president of Pinterest. I was coming home 
And I couldn't get off my phone once I got home, despite having two young kids who needed my love mm. and attention. I was in the pantry, you know, typing away on an email or sometimes looking at Pinterest. I thought, God, this is classic irony. I am going to work during the day and building something that then I am falling prey to. And, and I couldn't, I mean, some of those moments I couldn't help myself. Well, that's a little too close to home for my enjoyment. That is from The Social Dilemma, which is a new documentary. It's got a bit of a drama part docudrama on uh, Netflix, which I realize some of you just canceled because of that child porn uh, issue. Um, (laughs) But you ought to get it back at least long enough to watch The Social Dilemma, particularly if you have kids. Um, it, It is an extremely powerful documentary about all of these tech designers, movers, shakers, leaders who realized what they've created is awful. It's awful for people. It's awful for America. It's awful. And they deal with a couple of different things, including... Including that guy there from Pinterest who's he's trying to come up with a way to keep you on the, on the website. And he gets home and he's still on the website. That was the guy who figured out how uh, Facebook should make money. Really? Yeah. He is one of the all-time movers and shakers of Silicon Valley. Um, So they do talk about uh, cell phone addiction, um, just the constant input problem that we've talked about. Some of that's accidental, though, isn't it? I mean, I realize some of it's on purpose, but nobody knew that the ding from a text would make us all... They did. They did? Yeah. Slot, me, slot machine technology oh, just in your, in your pocket now. Yeah, they figured it out very, very early. And, and, that's, and we, we have limited time to talk about it. We talked about it a little more in the first hour of the show. Um, but they talk about how some of the smartest people in the world are using neuropsychology and algorithms to manipulate you. And that... Even if you're pretty smart and pretty disciplined, because that guy's incredibly smart and very disciplined, you're overmatched by the technology. It knows exactly how to reach into your animal brain and make you do things you might not otherwise do and might not want to do. That guy was actively hating what he was doing, and he was still so compulsive he did it. Yeah, well, obviously touches a uh, you know a need in our brain. I mean, you can put a picture in front of me of a, a hot woman in sexy clothes, and I'm going to have sexual thoughts, even though, I mean, I can't stop it. Mm-hmm. And they have figured that out with these little likes and dings and all that sort of stuff. Right, right. One of the guys in the documentary was the guy who invented the like button on Facebook. He came up with the idea. And they get wow. into... Uh, they also get into the, uh, the the news bubbles that people get into that tends to reinforce their views and radicalize them. They deal with that very well. Um, but the one part that I will never forget, even though I knew this already, is they go into the the addiction to reinforcement and the damage of lack of reinforcement that kids, particularly girls, get from social media. How they've got to look good. They've got to have the right filter they how sensitive they are to criticism and they go into the unbelievable skyrocketing suicide rate among tweens and teens girls in particular it it, as i said earlier in the show the number of little girls who kill themselves because social media has made them miserable dwarfs the number with all due respect to the issue dwarfs the number of black guys shot down by the cops by a thousand times why are we not having a national conversation about this? 
Is it because tech is so incredibly powerful and rich and buys off so many politicians? It's definitely got to play a role. And, and buys off so many news networks, and they have their partnerships and the rest of it. Oh, yeah. They don't want to criticize it. Well, but I mean, I, NPR it whines about everybody who has a damn toenail all the time. Every single story they have is complaining about somebody who's beleaguered to the point <laughs> of absurdity. But you're not going big on all these little girls attempting and committing suicide and and the numbers of uh, who are cutting and self-harm and get addicted and all because they're freaking miserable it's it's an epidemic of horrific proportions it dwarfs the freaking covid and nobody's talking about well it's fairly new we all know about it it seems like but it's fairly new the smartphones only been around since 2007 and all this stuff really took off then and i don't know I don't know. Well, we're going to get to watch it play out. We are watching it play out. Yeah. Skyrocketing levels of depression, anxiety, and suicide. Yeah. Yeah. It's something. It's it's really well done. I say a docudrama because they follow the exploits of a family. Um, and, and a couple of the kids are absolutely social media addicted. And one kid gets kind of rash, uh, radicalized. It's pretty well done, honestly. Yeah. I wonder what the definition of, is ad- of addicted is for uh, social media. How many people would qualify? Well, and the fact that they are giving children this disease is so sad. They mentioned in the in the documentary there are only two industries that call their customers users. That's drug dealers and social media. Ooh, yeah, probably not a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. So it's good stuff. It's called the social dilemma, uh, and I'm telling you, watch it with the family. Armstrong and Getty.